Breaking news, Serena Williams announcing on Instagram this morning that she will soon retire from tennis and linking to an article she wrote in September's edition of Vogue magazine. Here's what Serena wrote. There comes a time in life when we have to decide to move in a different direction. That time is always hard when you love something so much. My goodness, do I enjoy tennis. But now the countdown has begun. There's never a right time to say goodbye. Serena Williams proved that once again this week. The greatest women's tennis player of all time is transitioning away from her playing career. She's not retiring. She hasn't used that word explicitly. But Serena did reveal we'll be seeing her much less as the 40-year-old turns her focus away from the court and toward her growing family. So today... ESPN senior writer and tennis encyclopedia, Howard Bryant unpacks Serena's farewell message and helps us look back on an athlete, a trailblazer, a career that is truly like no other. I'm Emily Kaplan, in for Pablo Torre. It's Thursday, August 11th. This is ESPN Daily. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Howard Bryant. You've covered Serena Williams for decades. So when Serena's Vogue essay and cover dropped on Tuesday, where she announced that she would be evolving away from tennis, what was your initial reaction? My initial reaction, Emily, was that, well, first of all, it's time. It was just a matter of time. We've been waiting for this, and it was really a question of how she was going to do it as opposed to when she was going to do it. I actually believed that she wasn't ever going to announce her retirement. Maybe that's because I've been writing about Ricky Henderson for too long um, because he actually never retired. He just, the phone stopped ringing and that was it for him. And I thought that that Serena might go in the same direction. Venus Williams is just still going and she plays when she feels like playing and she doesn't play when she doesn't want to play. And so I really sort of thought that maybe there wasn't going to be this announcement, maybe Serena didn't really want to do the grand finales the way we've seen it with Andy Roddick and the way we've seen it with with other players, that maybe she was just going to not play anymore. And so that that was a bit of a surprise for me. I think the other thing about it that hit me was that she also didn't really retire. She said she was sort of scaling back the operation, which tells me that the message is not to expect her to play after the U.S. Open, but to be happy when she does show up. Maybe she's going to play some doubles with Venus. I know she loves playing the Aussie Open. Maybe she's just going to take a couple wild cards here and there. I mean, she could very easily be 
Kamiko Date Crum and, and play in her 40s because Serena can still compete. I don't think she's a favorite for majors anymore, but she can still play. There's no question about that. So I think what surprised me the most about it was the announcement itself, that she seems to be very clear that she's letting her fans know after this tournament not to expect her anymore. Howard, you alluded to it, but the word choice here is fascinating because she never explicitly uses the word retire. She didn't even say she was stepping away definitively. Instead, the phrases were evolving away from tennis and transition. It honestly sounded like our new version of conscious uncoupling. So (laughs) what did you make of her word choice here? Well, the word choice is that she doesn't want to quit. She's not ready yet. I always say there are three ways to retire. There's three ways to get out of the game. One is when the game retires you. You get released. The game is telling you you can't play anymore. The phone stops ringing. You can't play anymore. The second is when your body retires you. If you're Juan Martin Del Potro and your body is saying, look, man, we can't do this anymore. Andy Roddick, you've got a bad shoulder. Joe Montana, the elbow is saying, you can't do this anymore. And then there's the third way, which is you go out on top. In Serena's case, I don't think she wants to really choose any door except the third one. But I don't know if the third one is really going to be available to her. Clearly, what she wants more than anything else is that 24th major. Really, she wants the 25th one, but you you can't get the 25th one without the 24th one. And so I don't think she really wants to say it's time to go. But yet we also know that Serena hasn't played a full season in years. She's not going to play 60, 70 matches a year anymore. But you can't just play majors because she's never sharp enough to compete for those two weeks. So I think what she's really saying is I've got to try to find some way to say it without saying it. And it's also classic Serena as well in terms of just being in control of this narrative and being cryptic and not quite being definitive and wanting to leave that door open. But she also is very much recognizing that the clock is striking midnight. It's interesting, Emily, when you think about this, because in any other business, she's a young woman. Hmm. She's 41 years old next month. That's it. In sports, she might as well be 100. And I think that as a tennis player, you really cannot expect a tennis player at 40 years old. Roger Federer just turned 41 the other day. You just can't expect them to give that much effort across the season. But at the same time, in a short tournament, in two weeks, can I win seven matches? Serena Williams is not quite ready to say, I can't do that. I mean, the biological clock is so different for an athlete versus the rest of the population, but a biological clock is also different for a woman. And in this essay, Serena was very candid. She said that she definitely did not want to be pregnant again while still competing as an athlete. She also wrote about how hard it's been for her to approach the end of her career. There was a lot of revelations in this piece. I'm just curious, when you read it, what stuck out to you? I think what stuck out to me was, one, just the candor. We say we want these things from athletes. We say we want them to open up. We say we want them to be vulnerable. We say we want them to be human. And yet, as we've seen during the entire mental health battles over the last couple of years, where you've seen more athletes talk about their vulnerabilities and talk about what it's like to actually be human and still be expected to be superhuman, the reaction hasn't been great. We saw that with Simone Biles. We've seen it with Naomi Osaka. We saw it with Michael Phelps that you're expected to be indestructible. So what I really, really liked about it, across all the different things, talking about the mortality of an athlete, talking about the difference between men and women, talking about the knowing when it was 
when the time was coming to say goodbye, all of those things really run in stark contrast to the indomitable Serena Williams that we see on court who's supposed to be unbeatable. She's a person. I think the thing that I liked most about the essay was that she was willing to be a person and not a persona. She was. And one of the rawest things she said was that she had to make this extremely difficult choice, one that she felt she only had to make because she was a woman. And in her words, it was, believe me, I never want to have to choose between tennis and a family. I don't think it's fair. If I was a guy, I wouldn't be writing this because I'd be out there playing and winning while my wife was doing the physical labor of expanding our family. Maybe I'd be more of a Tom Brady if I had that opportunity. What was Serena trying to tell us there? I thought that that section was unrealistic Hmm. because obviously there's clear differences between men and women when you're playing. There's no doubt about that. But the bottom line of this is nobody plays forever. Even Tom Brady, okay, he is one of a small handful of players who have been able to sort of play longer. And that piece of it, yes, 100% accurate, raw, no doubt, direct. But this day of competition, it's the cruelty of being what the great Roger Angel used to refer to as being one of these golden youths. Whether she wants to have more children or whether she doesn't, the time is coming when you can't do this anymore. That's the cruelty of being a top-level professional athlete. And so for me, I understood part of what she was saying. But the other part of it is this day is coming whether you want to have more children or whether you don't, especially if you want to be at a championship level. Certainly in this case, if Serena's talking about simply competing and not being pregnant and not playing while pregnant, all of that, 100% accurate. But in terms of being a top-level Grand Slam winning player, that's an age question. That's a time question. Because I don't think that Serena has really been championship level for a couple of years now. I mean, obviously, she went to four finals after having uh, her child. But she's a different player. And I think that that has as much to do with age than anything else. I mean, there's not a whole lot of 40-year-olds out there winning Grand Slams. In fact, there are none, zero. None of them have ever done it, male or female. So I know that Serena loves to write her own story. She's the superhero. She's the protagonist of her own story. But nobody beats time. Nobody. Since she first went pro at age 14, she's been a trailblazer and one of the most accomplished athletes across sports we've ever seen. Dozens of Grand Slams, Olympic medals, millions of dollars in marketing deals. But as you just told me, she's had some health and injury issues that have slowed her down in the last few years. So I'm just curious, even though she still writes that she has a desire for more, do you think she's leaving some still on the table in her tennis career? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think when you're Serena at that level, we talk about this all the time at this level. We're not talking about competing. That's one thing. We're talking about championships. We're talking about Grand Slam championships, meaning you've got to win seven matches in two weeks. That's the level. That's the Serena level. Otherwise, yeah, can she be Sam Stozer and and win a Grand Slam and then not be in the top 10 for the next five years? Sure, she can do that. Can she be Date Crum and once again play into her 40s? Absolutely, she can do that. Can she be Francisca Schiavone and win the French Open and then not win another major and, you know, play as the 200th ranked person? Sure. But Serena's not going to do that. I don't think she wants to be like Venus, which is Venus can go out there and play and get knocked out in the first round. I don't see that for Serena Williams. Serena Williams reminds me so much more of of the famous anecdote with Bob Gibson, the great St. Louis Cardinals pitcher in 1975. 
He comes in in relief and gives up a grand slam to Pete Lecoq, walks off of the diamond, and that was it for him. And years later, when somebody said, you know, when you re- when, why did you retire? And he said, when you're giving up grand slams to Pete Lecoq, it's time to go. And when you're Serena Williams, if you're not competing for majors, if you're fighting to beat Harmony Tan, no disrespect to Harmony Tan, but if you're in the first round of Wimbledon, a tournament you've won seven times, and you can't get out of the first round, you're not Serena Williams anymore. Okay, Howard, after the break, I want to ask you about how we should think about Serena's legacy and if this upcoming U.S. Open is really her last. Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot. Taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is, Not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Howard, in the Vogue piece, Serena reflects on her legacy. She writes, I don't particularly like to think about my legacy. I get asked about it a lot, and I never know exactly what to say. But I like to think that thanks to opportunities afforded to me, women athletes feel that they can be themselves on the court. They can play with aggression and pump their fists. They can be strong yet beautiful. They can wear what they want and say what they want and kick butt and be proud of it all. So Howard, I just want to know, what do you think Serena's legacy is going to be? Well, I actually liked when in reading that section, I actually liked that she did something that we as professionals do very, very poorly and very, very rarely. And that's to actually use the term legacy properly. Legacy is not achievements. Legacy is what you leave behind. And you can tell how great an athlete is when they don't even have one legacy. They've got several legacies. So let's go over them, and you can choose which one you think is your favorite or the most important. Uh, To me, one of the most important legacies of Serena Williams is she changed who got to play the game. Emily, how tall are you? I'm five foot two and three quarters. You were five, two and three quarters. And it kind of shows watching you on the broadcast. I was like, <laughs> she's not very tall. I get an apple box sometimes. All right. <laughs> you get an apple box. Now, the reason why I bring up your height is because before the Williams sisters, you could be 
five six. Martina Navratilova is five six. She wasn't that tall. Remember when I met Martina for the first time at the French Open? I looked at her and I was like, she's really not that big. You could be average height and still be a professional athlete. And then comes Serena and Venus. Venus first, obviously. I remember there was one year I was at Wimbledon. And Serena was on court. And I think she was just warming up. And then the match began. And she's killing the ball. Serena's power was obvious. But here's the thing. She's 5'9". She's 5'9", about 150, 155 pounds. And people treated her like she was seven feet tall. But if you look at the players around her, Garbina Muguruza, six foot, 160. Angelique Kerber, 5'9", 5'8", 5'9", 160. Naomi Osaka, people look at Naomi Osaka. Naomi Osaka is 5'11", 165 pounds. She's big. And you're looking at these players and you're going... Serena's not even the tallest one of them, but once again, they changed who got to play the game. They have essentially ushered in a generation of female tennis players where that's the average. If you're 5'6", like, say, Simona Halep, you don't look very big at all. Even someone like Sharapova, who was 6'2", but she only weighed 125 pounds, so she was thin. They've changed who gets to play this sport because the... Emily Kaplan's of the world or the average 5'4", five, 5'5", five, five players are at a decided disadvantage. And it's happening on the men's side, too. Everybody's just bigger now. There hasn't been an under-six-foot champion on the men's side in 22 years. That's one legacy. Another legacy of Serena is the ability to reach a generation of players who hadn't thought of playing the game before. Like, the number of black women playing the sport is off the charts now. If you go talk to the Madison Keys and you talk to the Coco Goffs and, and talk to the Asia Muhammad's and all of these young players coming up, they all owe it to Serena and Venus. And that doesn't even include the white players that they inspired. So there's this generation of African-American players who were inspired by the Williams sisters. An entire generation of girls grew up watching them and suddenly tennis the country club all-white sport that nobody thought was available to them is now suddenly available to them. That's legacy number two. And then, of course, there's legacy number three, which is what you had just talked about and what Serena talked about in her piece. The opportunity now for women to have more agency. And you can go back to Venus when you're talking about equal pay and her being in that same lineage of Billie Jean King and fighting for not just opportunity and access, but also the same dollar amounts. And especially when you're looking at Venus and Serena at the big tournaments, like at Wimbledon especially, where they just dominated, where, you know, women didn't take a back seat anymore. And that when you're talking about a, a dual tournament, that you're bringing in as many people to watch Venus and Serena as you did to watch Roger and, and Rafa and, and Novak, if not more. So the legacies of, of Serena, there's really not one legacy. There are going to be so many different avenues when we talk about tennis going forward and sports in general going forward, where you're going to point and Serena is going to be the flashpoint for that. I'm curious, you know, you've been covering her again for so long. We now admire her strength, her size, her athleticism, but how was that first received when she came on the tour? Not well received at all. In fact, I remember one of the favorite stories I always tell is my first Wimbledon, I walked in, I'm sitting there in the, the player's lounge is very close to the media workroom. And Richard Williams used to always just sit there on the bench in between. And, and whenever Richard saw somebody black, he would always kind of grab them and 
seeing black people in, in the tennis world was always something really special to him. And so when he first saw me, he drags me over and, and we talk and he's essentially given me, you know, the grandfatherly uncle fatherly talk. He's like, just remember, they don't want you here. They didn't want my girls here. This, you know, and really telling me that this is hostile territory. And the only way that we could navigate being here was by winning. And you do go back and you think about when Venus and Serena first hit the scene and, and the other players were making fun of them and didn't want them on the court. And you thought about the times when Venus and when their beads hit the court and like think Hingis was complaining. And it was just all of these different sort of microaggressions and the different ways to say, you don't belong here. And Richard was telling me all the different stories about that. And he was talking about how even after the, you know, after the tough losses and even after the victories, he would say, if you win, they have to listen to you. And if you win, they can't get rid of you. And one of the reasons why Wimbledon was such an appropriate setting for this conversation was that when you walk up and down the grounds at Wimbledon and you walk through the stairwells, you walk through the hallways, Venus and Serena are everywhere. Venus has five of these and Serena's got seven of them. That's 12 majors. That's 12 Wimbledons right there by one family. And so that, to me, the hostility, the hostile territory, you go back, obviously, to Indian Wells, 2001, the racial taunts that they experienced there. It was not easy, and it was not always welcoming. And it reminds me a little bit, after Bill Russell's passing, people were talking a lot about reconciliation. And it always makes me think, and I always ask this question, what do you do when someone doesn't accept your apology. Because for years, Venus and Serena were the ones criticized for not going back to Indian Wells. And it's like, that's their right. That is their right not to do that based on how they were treated, just as it was Bill Russell's right, whether he wanted to reconcile with the city of Boston or whether he did not. That's not the purpose of the apology. The purpose of an apology is to acknowledge that you caused harm to another person, not to control their reaction. Narratively, we all would like to have the reconciliation and to have a group hug and, and act like this is progress. And we finally got to see a little bit of that when both Venus and Serena finally did return to Indian Wells after, what, 15 years, however many years it was. But there's no question when they first hit the scene, they were not welcome. They had to force their way here by victory. Howard, is there an aspect of Serena's career we don't talk about enough? Yeah. I mean, I think there are two pieces of Serena's career that we don't talk nearly enough about. And one is the fact that she had very serious injuries. The pulmonary embolism almost ended her career. And I think that one of the things we don't talk enough about in terms of just how much emotional pressure that Serena and Venus had been under was right after the U.S. Open in, in 2003 when their sister Yatunde was murdered and was shot in Compton, California. And so there's been a lot of trauma in that family. There has been a lot of off-court issues that they've had to deal with, traumatic issues they've had to deal with while the public is still expecting them to perform. So there's so much emotion that goes on in addition to being asked to compete in an individual sport where you have no coaching and no timeouts and no one gets to talk to you while you're competing. And then to be asked as well to now be the face of female empowerment for an entire generation. Serena Williams has carried 
an enormous, enormous load. I think the other piece that's really important to remember when we're considering her is just the raw longevity of it. Serena Williams turned pro in 1995. She's been going for 27 years. And so when people talk about the upsets and people talk about the aura of Serena and whether or not Serena can, you know, win a a major after becoming a mother, she's done enough. She's done plenty. The number of people who are interested in this sport now because of her, the amount of drama she's given us, the championships, the excellence, the different ways in which she's empowered women to become whatever they've wanted to be, whether it was business, whether it was fandom, whether it was simply identity, whatever you want to call it. All of these different areas, she's been an inspirational figure. And these are the type of things that we remember when you're really talking about legacy. These are the things we will remember the matches against Azarenka. We'll remember the fact that she completely stomped Maria Sharapova out of existence. We'll remember those things. But what you really remember, what really makes a legacy are all of the things that we're not talking about, the things that have nothing to do with wins and losses and sets and tiebreakers and the rest of it. Howard, after she effectively evolves away from tennis and transitions into this next chapter, what do you think her relationship with the sport is going to be? Also a great question, because we've seen some of these athletes not have a second act, that they want to stay close to tennis. You'll see them, I think a lot of the players now are tournament directors, David Ferrer is a tournament director. James Blake is a tournament director. Tommy Haas is a tournament director at, over at Indian Wells. And so it's a good question. I don't know how much Serena is going to be that into the pomp and the circumstance of just being at tennis matches and being a legend. I don't know how often you'll see her. In fact, when Wimbledon did their jubilee Serena wasn't there, and she was actually in London. She was in the country. She was in country, and she and she did not show up. I think she went to a Rolling Stones concert instead, which kind of sent a message, or maybe it didn't, but it just didn't look great. But I think that she is going to go follow her own path. I mean, if there's one thing that Serena has done over this time period, especially the last seven or eight years, is she has forged for herself a pathway that belongs almost exclusively to her. And she's not necessarily worried so much about appearances. She's going to do what she wants to do. So, Howard, as she prepares for her last day as a professional tennis in this upcoming U.S. Open, how is it going to end? Is it going to end with a fizzle or a bang? Is there a Jimmy Connors 1991 moment possibility? And does it matter at this point? No, I mean, they all get knocked out. It's like boxing. I mean, the very few people get to walk away on top. Most players usually end things. On the court, at least, they lose. It's the natural order of sports. There's going to be 256 players going to the U.S. Open. Only one of them is going to walk away with the trophy. Hopefully there's some magic left. Is there one last moment of magic, like Jimmy Connors? making a semis run as a 39-year-old. Wouldn't that be something? People would love that. I believe that the U.S. Open now is a sellout after Serena's announcement. This is what we're looking for, and we all love these wonderful sporting dramas. We all love this, the story of what's going to happen when you go out there. Maybe Serena's got one last moment of magic for all of us, and that we'll be talking about for years. Howard Bryant, thank you for your work chronicling Serena Williams' career. Thank you for sharing that work with us and helping us make sense of this significant moment. 
No, it's my pleasure, Emily. It's great to talk with you. I'm Emily Kaplan. This has been ESPN Daily. I'll talk to you tomorrow.